0: Mo, come here, buddy. You're gonna be in the movies. And the person interviewing me wrote those words down, looked up from his piece of paper, and said to me, "So, do you think we're gonna like that?" Yeah, I I do what I do today, Kathy, because of a fourth-grade field trip. No credit to me; just me fumbling along with what I knew at the time, and the dog being very forgiving of my mistakes. Social media. The irony of its name never fails to make me snicker. I mean, look, there's some great things about these platforms that allow us these little windows into people's lives. We get to stay connected with each other. We get to discover new things, and we may even make some new friends. Overall, though, it's a shit show. Categorical, quantifiable shit show, and depending on the day, maybe more like a cesspool a place where opinions get tossed as fact, and where a level of cruelty and rudeness that until recently would never even have been seen in the real world is not just present, but it's actually celebrated and encouraged. So let's be clear, this podcast, these episodes with just me, my opinion, full out my opinion, my thoughts, And if it's an interview with somebody and they don't happen to agree with me, that's their opinion. Again, I may or may not agree with it, but it's their opinion. And that's where the interesting conversations get to happen. Now, to be fair, thus far, I don't think I've had many folks on the podcast with whom I have any kind of diametrically opposed or even slightly opposed perspectives, maybe one or two. And that's something I get to shift that's something that I get to address. But for today, you got me. We're going to talk about tolerance. So let's take a deep breath together and let's dive in. I'm Kathy Brooks and this is Talk Unleashed. When I began my more focused, my formal path to becoming a dog behavior person, I had been studying a lot of stuff online. I had been working as a hobbyist dog trainer for a lot of years. So I had some practical experience, but I really wanted to learn. I knew that I didn't know and I wanted to explore. I wanted to expand my knowledge and expand my skills. So I had come to Las Vegas and went to this pet related event. And I met a guy there by the name of Mark German, big Texas guy who was actually wearing a United States of America, like a Stars and Stripes flag shirt and a cowboy hat, big cowboy kind of guy, and we start talking, and we're pretty much diametrically opposed on, well, everything as we're talking except for the topic of dogs and dog behavior. Turns out he is a master trainer out of Texas, and we started talking about his educating me about my taking a boot camp with him. Now, normally he did like a six-month program. I wasn't going to be going to Texas for six months. So we talked about my bringing him here to Las Vegas and doing some real-world work with some of the clients who had started reaching out to me. So that's what we did. I did a massive intensive with him. We did 10 to 12-hour days for several weeks of full immersion into this program. And before we got started, on our very first day, he sits me down and he says, Red Pill or blue pill. Now, I was a little bit confused because I wasn't entirely sure what a reference to the matrix had in our conversation, but I said, well, you know, red pill, red pill is truth, red pill is knowledge. And he said, well, here's why I'm asking. When you embark on this journey and you start to truly understand dog behavior, body language, vocalizations, watching their interactions with humans, starting to really feel their energy. All those videos online, all those hilarious videos on YouTube that get millions of views. And, you know, TikTok wasn't a thing then, but, you know, he starts you know, talking about Instagram, which at the time was still very new. And he said, all those videos, all of that content online that everyone thinks is so hilarious, it's not going to be funny to you anymore. Not only is it not going to be funny, it's going to be downright disturbing. Now, Mark knew a little about what he was talking about. He's the guy who was the last house on the block for a lot of dogs, meaning the dogs, by the time they got to him, had pretty severe histories. They had been aggressive to humans, aggressive to um, other dogs. They had killed animals. They had you know, torn apart houses in a really violent way. And, you know, a lot of the dogs that he worked with were in dog breed parlance, power breeds or power breed mixes. And they had just been placed, you know, in the wrong home in a lot of cases. Sometimes just people were stupid, really, or, or at least ignorant. They just, they wanted a specific breed. They saw it in a movie, but they were really misinformed about how to handle it. You know, there's some cases of just candidly human hubris, like, oh, I just want that, and it's a status symbol, and that's the dog I'm going to have. You know, and sometimes it's misfired breeding. You could have, you know, somebody who's prepared and has experience, but the dog just kind of comes out of the shoot wrong. No matter what the case, in a lot of the cases for Mark, you had cases where there was flawed or failed leadership, humans who had anthropomorphized their dogs, and that— incorrect relationship with the dog had set the dog's perception of the world upside down the dogs were confused they had conflicting communication and as a result they were just desperately trying to find their place whatever the cause the dogs were violent they had histories and if not for mark's intervention a lot of these dogs were headed for euthanasia now for the record he hasn't been able to save all the dogs he's worked with but his his save history is pretty high damn near 100% of them That's a story for a different post. But anyway, he said, red pill or blue pill? And, you know, I wasn't expecting him to say that. You know, I said, look, these videos are short. They're out of context. How can we possibly really know that it's a bad situation? How can we possibly know that what the human is doing is wrong? And he just kind of sighed. And he looked at me and kind of smiled. And it was one of those... Sad, knowing smiles, the kind of smile when you've got somebody who's wise with tons of experience and tons of exposure and tons of knowledge, and they're talking with a student who's well intentioned and eager, and they just don't have the experience to know. And he said, You'll just know. And he kind of just kind of left it there. So I thought about it for like a nanosecond. I took the proverbial red pill, and he was right. Not only are most of those videos online just not funny to me because I see where they might be leading or what could happen or just how deeply anxious the dog actually is. And what's also the case is that it's really hard to be out in public and watching people with dogs because most people, while well-intentioned, and look, just to be clear, I'm I'm not saying this to shame anybody, and I'm not saying this in any kind of judgment. We all do the best we can with the tools that we have. We do the best that we can and a lot of people go online and they just kind of find information and they maybe don't know the veracity of the source of that information and so they're trusting it or they're basing their choices on dogs they've had in the past and it's very different from the dog they have now. Whatever the case, my assumption when I sit down with a new client is always this. Your intentions are good. Your intentions are sound. Your heart is absolutely in the right place. You got this dog because you love dogs and you want a dog. And you want to be the best parent, owner, guardian of the dog that you can be. That's where I start. That's my starting point. So there's no blame, no shame, no fault, no guilt. It's not about making someone feel small or stupid or anything like that. If you don't know, you don't know. And that's where education comes in. That if a human sees that their dog's behavior is not something that they would like it to be, that it is discordant with the life they are leading, it is disruptive to their life, and they want to make a change, they want to support that dog in in shifting that dog's behavior, then the only way to do that, once we've ruled out, Physical issues, you know, dog's not sick, dog doesn't have allergies, dog's not, you know, physically hurting in any way. And then we've ruled out dietary stuff. So we've cleaned up the dog's diet and we know that there's not any sort of bad additives or ingredients that are bad for the dog. Once we've taken care of that and we're dealing with behavioral stuff, the only way to shift the dog's behavior is for the human on the other end of the leash to shift theirs period and that means sometimes that the things that some people might love to do with their dogs that are fun and interesting and all of that may actually be the things that are catalyzing the bad behavior in the dog and i say bad with air quotation marks that unknowingly the human is interacting with the dog in a way that confuses the dog and leads to the behavior what what the behavior actually is is the dog attempting to get clarity on what its relationship is to its human. And my dog isn't my best friend. My dog isn't my superior. My dog is essentially a subordinate in the way a child is a subordinate in a human family. And again, to be clear, I'm not making a direct analogy here. My, dog isn't, my dogs are not my children. I did not birth them. They are not human. They are of another species. But insofar as the social relationship, the emotional relationship that I have with them and responsibility that I have with and for them, it is more parental than peer. That's it. So like when someone shows up on my doorstep or any other dog training professional, unfortunately, there are cases where nothing can be done because the people are looking for a quick fix without the willingness to lean in and recognize that it's actually their behavior that gets to change first before the dog's behavior can be addressed. Okay, so that brings us to why I'm on this soapbox today. I saw a reel on Instagram the other day. It's maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds in length, and it's a guy with a Belgian Malinois, and there is nothing about the dog's Physical presentation in the video that looks good. Now, again, to be clear, I don't know if this guy is a trained professional. I don't know if he is just a civilian dog owner with lots of experience. I don't know what happens before the video or after the video. All I know is the video that I see and what I'm seeing in the video. And what I'm seeing in the video is a dog that's licking its lips and yawning, that's trying to deflect its gaze and move its face, a little bit of whale eye, its ears in a kind of collapsed in back position. And the owner is bopping its nose and twisting its muzzle and bopping its nose and twisting its muzzle. And it's supposed to be funny. And so I remixed the reel, just with me, just kind of sitting there with a bit of an eye roll sort of thing. And then in the comments explaining why I felt that way. And for the most part, people were responding in a way that they appreciated it. Yes, they could see this. And then there were five comments. Now, there may be more comments by now. Frankly, I haven't paid any attention, but there were five comments. Two of them were from the same person. Three of those people have private accounts, so I can't even see what it is they post. So they're hiding behind the skirts of anonymity completely. And the other person has, I think, six posts on their profile. Two of them are are plates of food and the other four seem to be of the same house in wintertime with some snow. There's nothing about that account that says anything to me that this person has any sort of, shall we say, body of knowledge or information. Now, maybe they are a seasoned dog training professional. I'm guessing probably not. Um, Maybe they've been around training their whole lives. Maybe. But the comments, and again, they weren't particularly insulting. I did get called a Karen in one of them. I was told I was tweaking. And um, what's really interesting is that they just kind of scooted out from the back of the internet to say something nasty and then scoot it away. Now I'm human after all. I'm not immune to having my feelings a little bit, you know, hurt for a quick second. I looked at the grammar of the commentary, and I looked at their being anonymous, and I immediately cast judgment that they're ignorant sons of bishops who can't even spell, let alone write a full sentence, What do I actually care what they think? Answer, I don't. And then I sat for a second, and I realized that my judgment made me no better than them. I mean, had one of them engaged even a little bit with some curiosity, a little bit of insight, things could have gotten really interesting. Maybe they'd have brought up the point that we don't know the context. Maybe they'd say, hey, look, we don't know the person who did the video. Maybe one of them would say, you know what? I know this guy. He's been working with dogs for 30 years. Maybe they'd have a completely different view or perspective. But instead, judgment, name-calling, and insults, laughable insults, maybe, but insults nonetheless. So instead of leaning into the opportunity to disagree and then engage in a dialogue, that could inform, that could educate, that could lift people up. They chose, in the words of the Teddy Roosevelt quote, to sit up in the bleachers and throw insults at the people who are down in their arena doing the real work. So you might say, well, Kathy, why didn't you wade in? You're all leadershipy and communicatory and all that. Why don't you just wade right on in there and have a conversation with them? And here's what's really sad. Because in a forum like social media, it's not designed for that. The examples aren't that. Now, if I were on Facebook and it were on either my business page or even my personal page or in a public group I manage, yeah, I'd wade right in. I'd engage them. I also have the ability there to you know, shift that conversation to block them or ban them or whatever but I could engage, kind of like coming to a dinner party at my house. They've been invited. Even if they're a friend's friend, they've stepped into my home, and so there's that expectation of of engagement, no matter what that looks like. You know, at Thanksgiving last year, I was invited to a friend of a friend's house. It was great, and there was one guy there who was also a friend of a friend who had been invited. Big burly guy. His name was Moses. Was from Mississippi. And he had enlisted in the army as a way to get out of this small town where he had grown up, didn't have many opportunities otherwise, wasn't particularly educated, did not come from a family of any kind of means. And so that was how he got out. And he was in the army and he wasn't an officer in the army. He was a grunt in the army. He did a couple of tours overseas and the hosts of the party, a homosexual man and a transgender man. and some comments that Moses made, which were made from a place of innocence. Everybody got really angry at him and walked out of the room. So I ended up just sitting there with him. I looked at him and said, well, this is awkward. And I laughed. And I mean, look, I'm a lesbian. He he, he had actually said to me the thing that catalyzed the commentary was, he said, you know, I never really understood, you know, if a woman wants to be with a man, why isn't she just with a man? I don't get why there are women who dress and behave like men. I said, well, they're not behaving like men. And this is when, you know, everybody got really angry. And one friend actually almost went across the table to clock the guy in the face. I said, no, 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 I I got this because he was asking his questions from a place of, of legitimate curiosity. He had never been in a room with this many gay people before. He'd probably never been in a room with a transgender man. So if I attack him, if we attack him, if we shut him down, how does that give him an opportunity to learn? It doesn't. So I sat with Moses with another guest from the party. The two of us sat there and talked with him for almost an hour while everyone else was inside. And at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to educate me, to help me. I said, you know, Moses, thank you. Thank you for listening. And I I actually have a favor to ask. And he said, sure, what? I said, the next time you're in a room of people, because you're going to be in rooms of people where I'm not going to be, where people like the rest of us aren't going to be. And there may come a time where you hear someone say something pretty nasty about that dyke, about that faggot. And here's my ask. Remember my face. Remember the faces of the people at this party and use your voice when we can't use ours. Is that something that you think you'd be able to do? And he got a big smile on his face and he stood up and he gestured for me to stand up and he gave me the biggest bear hug and he said it would be an honor. Tolerance. It's not something we see on social media today. I mean, if you look at the 30,000-foot view of what social means, I looked on the internet and didn't say much, just relating to society or its organization. Not really much of anything. So I dug a little bit deeper with my good old friend Merriam-Webster. The definition of social involving allies marked by or passed in pleasant companionship with friends or associates. Relating to or designed for sociability. Of or relating to human society, the interaction of the individual and the group, or the welfare of human beings as members of society. The gist of all of it, community, cohesion, companionship, in other words, something pleasant, something where, even in moments of conflict, the inclination is to address it through behavior that at least resembles respect. And when it comes to social media, there's blessed little of that. Instead, it's those people sitting up in the cheap seats, cores in one hand, popcorn in the other, and aha, there I go. I just made a judgment that someone who'd be drinking a cores and eating popcorn would behave a certain way. I think I might need to put one of those jars here at the office, a judgment jar, kind of like a swear jar. Pretty sure it'll be pretty full pretty fast. One of the things I respect most about dogs is their inherent understanding of structure, order, group dynamics, and respect. When leadership is clear and well-defined, they get it. That doesn't mean there aren't challenges. It doesn't mean there isn't friction. That happens, and it's handled with an understanding of how that's going to go. The well-being of the family—I'm not going to call it a pack because that's a topic for another day—is of paramount importance. Don't forget I've mentioned it here before a lone wolf isn't a thing it literally isn't a thing it doesn't exist if you see a wolf on its own out in nature it means one of a couple things now it may be lost but that's super super rare and in that case chances are a wolf's going to die either another family of wolves will kill it or a bear or a cougar or a hunter but yeah so if it gets lost it's probably going to die the usual reason Is that the wolf is sick and dying? It is going off on its own to have peace in its final days or moments. Or if you see a wolf alone, chances are its family isn't too far behind. The leadership in a wolf family is responsible for keeping the peace, and in absence of the leaders, there is a structure, a chain of command for ensuring that the entirety of the family order is retained. There's a whole discussion to have about family, and I'll have that another day, but for now, I'll leave it here. In those moments where someone comes up against you with a contrary view, a disagreement with your point, or flat-out tosses an insult your way, take a moment and pause. And remember that their actions likely have nothing, really, to do with you at all. Probably more of a response to some kind of historic moment. Some sort of trigger. Have some tolerance. You might be surprised where it leads. Thanks for stopping by. If it's your first time, glad you joined us. If you've been here before and you're back for more, splendid. Glad to have you. Either way, make sure you don't miss out on any of the great conversations we have coming up on Talk Unleashed, or the ones we've already had for that matter. Hit up your favorite podcast player and subscribe. While you're at it, leave a review. It helps other folks find the show because it takes a village. Speaking of which, Talk Unleashed happens because there is a village. John and Don McLean, Evelyn Coda, and the amazing team at Monster Sound and Picture. Thanks, guys. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I look forward to having you back next week for another episode of Talk Unleashed.